Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Feasible Filmcast for April 6, 2016. This is episode number eight, and today we're going to be talking Daredevil Season 2, um, a review of the war film Fury, uh, David Ayer's film from 2014. Um, we'll be getting into uh, one or two news stories and some pre-watch picks for Hardcore Henry this weekend. So let's go ahead and get things started. Um, I'll preface this review by saying um, if you need to see or go back and watch season two of Daredevil before you listen to this because it's kind of hard to um, bypass some of the uh, spoilers in the season. So if you haven't seen it, go back and uh, either that or skip ahead uh, to the Fury review and uh, then some. Um, So I was a huge fan of season one of Daredevil. Um, I think Netflix shows are pretty fantastic. Uh, Jessica, Jessica Jones was okay, um, but you don't really need to have seen that uh, show to to get anything out of this one. There's some crossovers here and there, but it's not too important if you haven't seen you know the first season. Um, this one uh, starts off with um, kind of the aftermath of uh, William Fisk's arrest at the end of the first season. Um, he's put into prison doesn't really come back in until later in the season, which really kind of threw me for a loop. I mean, I should have seen it coming, but it's been a while since I've seen the first season, so it kind of escaped my mind that, you know, they put him in uh, prison. But, you know, they've been getting a lot of popular... Nelson and Murdoch have been getting a lot of uh, popularity since William Fisk's arrest. And so, you know, they've, they've had, you know, people that are wanting to come in for help and... You know, usually they're still trying to pay their wage with, you know, food and letters and, you know, goodwill, things like that. So there's kind of a uh, financial burden, I guess you'd say, this season for the uh, uh, for the firm. And, you know, that's always kind of um, inherent in the background throughout the whole season. So it adds a bit of a little extra drama, like, you know, are they going to shut the doors? And they're kind of putting that uh, idea in your head moving forward because it does look like it's going to happen or did pretty much did happen. Um, but, um, yeah, we're introduced to a, um, a new, uh, struggle in this season, um, called the hand and they're without getting too much into it. They're part of the Yakuza and it melds into, um, Stick into Electra, which are both in this uh, show, which was pretty surprising. You know, I, I figured Stick would show up, but um, having Electra, I had no idea. You know, leading up to it, I really didn't read a lot of the spoilers or anything like that leading up to it because I wanted to be surprised. Um, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised when Electra shows up, and it added a bit of dynamic uh, to the show and um, really tears away. Um, Matt Murdock from the uh, like I guess his real quote unquote real life um, and in doing all of his his job and his friends and whatnot and really having to focus on his vigilantism and if that's a word and going and trying to you know help help save Hell's Kitchen but also help save you know uh, Electra and there's an imposing threat kind of like the Leagues of Shadows where it's kind of like an underbelly. The, like I mentioned before, called the hand that is going to destroy the city or wants to see the city suffer. So you kind of get to see 
Daredevil's involvement, Electra's involvement, and the overhaul best addition to this show is Frank Castle uh, as Punisher. I mean, uh, Punisher's character coming into this, and for everyone who's been wanting to see like a gritty Punisher, um, you know, but still also surprisingly heartfelt and. His inclusion really, for me, um, really tears you on. Do you think he's a good guy or bad guy? Because one moment, you know, you think he's doing good, and he explains himself. And the next minute, you know, he's going off on, you know, saying he's going to kill everybody, and he just wants everybody to suffer. And then he's back again, you know, kind of being, you know, a um, vulnerable character. And... They really play off that, and it's really, I can't think of another like show right off the top of my head where you're this invested in a, in a character where you know he's a bad person, um, his actions are not just, but he's doing the right thing for the city. And it's unlike Batman, because Batman, or any like major superhero in general, can't do these things. They cannot go out and just you know, if they're on a revenge plot and just kill everybody in their wake and, you know, and, you know, and just accept the consequences. I mean, that's what's so intriguing about the Punisher's character in this is he'll accept any consequence as long as he, as long as he can get revenge for the murder of his family. And the neat thing about it is I thought that they tied together all of the corruption really well with the politics and, you know, Electra's character and Stick's character and this whole faction called The Hand that comes into play. I thought that they did a good job bringing all that together. And although there wasn't really a a bad guy like William Fisk introduced into this until, you know, he shows back up about, I don't know, three or four episodes to the end, you don't really have a main villain for Daredevil to go after. He's mainly just helping Elektra fight, you know, her fight and showing their backstory and where she came from. So that is the one thing that, um, even though even though Frank Castle fights uh, Daredevil uh, a lot in the in the you know the first couple episodes, there it never you know you're kind of rooting for Punisher in a way, and of course you're rooting for Daredevil. So there isn't really a main bad guy, to, you know, to have a face, you know. Uh, it's just a kind of the whole city, you know. You have the biker gangs and the triads and, you know, the, uh, the, the street thieves and the pushers. And, you know, you have your main characters here, but there isn't any, like, one main bad guy. And it writes, it writes the wrong, you know, like I was saying, about four uh, episodes to the end when William Fisk's character comes back in. Because, you know, they introduce him into prison. And, of course, he wants to control, you know, the underbelly of the prison and become, like, the head honcho there. And it's, I mean, uh, what's his name? Is it Vincent D'Onofrio? I forget. I be- Vincent D'Onofrio, I believe? That guy, as William Fisk, as Kingpin, is just fantastic. And that's what made the first season so great, is um, his acting is just so great. So... When he he comes back into the fold, I was really excited, and he has some of the most memorable scenes in here. And yes, this this 
this season has a lot more action, um, a lot more blood and guts, um, but it's kind of top-loaded, so or front-loaded. So a lot of the action sequences stem from the beginning, um, you know, to get you involved, and then about halfway through, it's it's mainly focuses and kind of turns. It, it has it has like a, a structure kind of. It sets up, you know, where Nelson Murdoch is going with Daredevil, and then there's a section of you know two episodes where Daredevil's the main star. Then I would say it moves over to Punisher, then it moves over to Elektra, then it moves over to Kingpin. And all in all, you know, the glue that mixes everything together is, you know, Foggy's um, kind of struggle outside, you know, fight, trying to, because um, he knows about Matt Burdock in this season, and he's just trying to understand, you know, why he, he's choosing that over, you know, his friendship and their firm and trying to build and grow. And, you know, Matt's trying to tell him, he's like, there's a threat that you don't understand that's coming to rip the city apart. And so anything we have now could end, you know, just just from this one group that's coming. And, you know, he has to go out and destroy them. And he can't, he doesn't want to get them involved because he doesn't want to give them, get any of them hurt. And I thought that the relationship between um, Murdoch and Paige was fantastic in this. And, of course, Electra's, uh, him and Electra were really great. Um, now, as far as, as far as the fight scenes go, I thought they were great. You know, the first season had kind of like the one shot, quote unquote, like one shot down the hallway where he fights a bunch of thugs until he gets to the end. This one is just takes it so much further. And he has a daredevil as a fight where he's battling um, Frank uh, Punisher on top of a, of a building. Punisher fires off a couple rounds down at a biker gang and the biker gang see him and they run up there and um, Daredevil uh, has to fight his way all the way down these stairs until he gets to the bottom and he must he must take out like 25 people 25 thugs you know on his way and it's just the chore choreograph is is fantastic you know it reminds me of of you know the the sequences in the raid I mean it's just mind-blowingly good and, you know, the fact that they're able to do all that seemingly in one take is just so much more impressive. And the the really cool thing that I thought about it uh, as well was Daredevil gets a new costume, and it is just utterly fantastic. You know, I, I, I can easily sit here and say that the Daredevil season one, season two are better than most of the superhero films that come out. You know, just I know it has a lot more time. You know, each one's an hour, so I've, it's got, what, like 24 hours worth of content. Um, but we're starting to get there on the superhero movies, especially the Marvel ones, you know, as far as runtime goes, knowing these characters. And I think, for me, I know more about their, the their characters, characters in Daredevil than I do in the Marvel films. And I know there's a lot more characters involved in that, but this seems so much more fleshed out and gritty it doesn't that that's one of the thing i guess i know those ideas are kind of scatterbrained right now but that's one of the thing that kind of sets us apart is the show is dark and gloomy but it's never really without hope like there's never any point where you're just kind of turned off at least it was for me you know i thought you know every conversation was engaged was engaging and you know all the fight scenes and it 
you know, it kind of trails off, I guess, towards the middle once Punisher gets arrested or he turns himself in. But it gets to focus on the electric electric character, and it, it really, for me, you know, shows a little bit more of the backstory with Murdoch and, you know, him getting to uh, confront his uh, dad's killer, which is really interesting. And... Um, it kind of unlocks like more of a personality for the characters and you know you get to learn um you know how how he was taught to fight from the first season you know and them starting him and foggy starting the firm and in this one it folk they bring in the punisher and it was really uh ingenious to have him arrested and have nelson and murdoch take his case because it was such a tough i mean it was such a tough thing to I mean, I would think to go and defend a guy that's killed all these people and try to humanize this character and make people think that, you know, he was doing right, but I just don't understand. I mean, it was just an uphill struggle. And I I thought it was really interesting that they, they, lo- they lose the fight, you know. I thought that was really interesting, and it was kind of a cliffhanger, you know. And, of course, you know, knowing that, you know, William Fisk was the one that told him to say all this and he would help find his killer, you know, was really interesting. I, mean, I didn't see that coming at all. I should have, but I didn't. And I thought that was, was just a great turnaround. And the only thing that was kind of deflating, I'd say, is the last, like, two episodes where it focuses more on Daredevil, Elec- Electra, and Stick um, and their struggle with the hand. You know, they don't they don't really go into much detail about where kind of like an arrow with uh, the League of Shadows. They don't really go into any type of detail as to where they come from. And, you know, just having a little meat on the bone for, for that might um, help uh, string it along a little bit better. But I, I wasn't really understanding what they were fighting for. I mean, I know they were coming to, uh, uh, you know, pretty much kill all the vigilante and it has to do with stick. Like he's done something, I guess in the past that's pissed off this group. But, um, unless I missed it, I, I just didn't understand really the, uh, what was, was kind of what, what they were fighting for with this group. Um, you know, other than, you know, it had to deal with some kind of money, money laundering or, or something to do with Electra's company and sticks past, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. So, you know, I thought that the last couple fights were kind of deflated a little bit for me. And, uh, you know, you want Punisher to kind of come back and, you know, kick ass and have his, you know, commando moment. But it doesn't really necessarily happen. And he kind of goes off into the night and uh, the rest of the um, season kind of leaves everything at kind of a negative outlook, you know. The first season, you know, they were getting all together, and this season they're all disbanding at the end. And um, they're setting up Kingpin, you know, I'm sure in the next season he'll escape and, you know, form, you know, uh, you know, maybe join in with a hand, I'm not sure, or they'll fight against each other. But there was never really a point where I was kind of like really, really, really looking forward to the next uh, episode, so... Um, but all in all, I thought it was great. Uh, I'd highly recommend it for anyone who likes, you know, the superhero shows and whatnot. It's it's more of a um, 
thoughtful take on it, I, wish, I should say. And it doesn't really go into, I guess, the cornier aspects of superheroes. It, it sticks to real-life situations. And, you know, even though he has his moments where, especially when he gets his new weapon, Daredevil gets his new weapons, um, unbelievability here and there, it does, for whatever reason, it just feels more real. And in in part in, in part of the acting is just great. And I believe that the storytelling is fantastic, like I said before. But definitely check it out. It's definitely worth it. You know, and the best part about it, the best part of, you know, Netflix is you can just watch them all straight through if you wanted to. So, you know, you can get it all out of the way in one or two days if you wanted to. And you don't have to sit through you know, two months worth of, you know, ads and, you know, waiting and, you know, what are the spoilers here? And after every every, every single episode of someone talking about it and spoiling it, and you know, whereas, na- whereas nowadays with Netflix, especially with the Marvel shows, you can kind of just consume it all really quickly and I think be better off for it, you know, other than like having it all spoiled for you later down on the line. And, uh, it's interesting to think that, you know, most of these shows like Arrow and Flash or whatever, they have like 24, 25 episodes, and there's still lots and lots of filler. You know, you can watch, for me, I mean, you could watch an entire episode of Arrow, or I'm sorry, a, an entire season of Arrow, and not really get in-depth with any of the characters. It's, it's kind of just your flavor of the week, your boss of the week shows up, they thwart it, and there may be one small little nugget of info, um, you know, about the family or about Arrow's character or someone else's character, and you know, they may they may slightly touch on it, and then you know that'll be kind of like a, a proving point within the full se- series, and they may touch on it like every third episode, like slightly, like they're not spending like full episodes, you know, really getting down and learning about these characters because. I mean, for one, that wouldn't really make an entertaining show. But for two, I just don't think they have the time, you know, um, to do all that in these episodes with all these complex characters they're trying to bring in. And, you know, especially with all the crossovers and whatnot. So, you know, if you just want a show that's not bogged down, you know, with all of this extra plot, it's just really simple to understand. It, you know, has emotional depth to better than most shows out there. And, you know, still has the superhero elements. I mean, this is your show. So I definitely re- recommend checking it out. So, okay. So let's get on to uh, another movie I watched. Uh, it's um, I've seen this. I This is about my third, maybe, f- I have to go check Letterbox. Maybe third or fourth time I've seen Fury. And uh, it was David Ayer's film. He directed it back in 2014. And it's a... Uh, it's basically, it. I'm trying to remember. It is. Uh, it's. It it portrays like the uh, uh, the like the tank crews at the end of the war, like of Nazi Germany, and I believe it was like the last couple days of World War Two, and the, uh, you know, he David Ayer, I believe, read about a lot or read a lot of like uh, veterans' novels and things like that, um, letters they sent home and reading books and whatnot about armored warfare. And he wanted to, like, you know, create a film around there. You know, just a simple film about, 
uh, a tank a tank battalion or a, a tank crew. Um, you know, the tank was called Fury, and you know it stars like Michael Pena, Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf, uh, the uh, the guy that plays Punisher. We just recently talked about. I forget his name. Uh, Logan Lerman, I believe, or John Berthold, one of the two. I forget his name. Uh, anyway, he's in there as well. He's part of the group. And, uh, you know, basically it's just about a uh, Brad Pitt's characters named, they each have their own nicknames. He's named War Daddy. And, you know, he pilots a, uh, a tank, like I mentioned before. It's a Sherman. And it's outfitted with like a uh, a heavy caliber. Or it's not a heavy caliber, but it's a longer barrel. So they can shoot a little bit further than the normal and uh, the velocity is a lot higher than normal Shermans. And, uh, you know, it starts off with them losing um, one of their, losing their gunner. And so, you know, they, they show up after the battle and uh, they're given a, uh, they're uh, assigned like a typist, you know, like street, he's only been in the military for like four weeks. And, you know, he is kind of like your fish out of water character. And, you know, he's trying to gain the respect from everybody there. and Or, well, at first he doesn't want to be there at all, but he's really trying to gain his respects from all the uh, crew members across the time of the movie. And I believe this is one of the best war films just in terms of uh, immersion. I mean, for one, they used real tanks. They went to, a uh, uh, like, a historical... Well, there's only one tiger in the entire world, Tiger Tank, and they were able to go to the museum and I believe get like five Shermans and this Tiger Tank, you know, go through all the paperwork that they had to to get it running. And that's where this movie really shines. And I remember like the first two times I saw this, I, you know, most of the time with these movies, they just either make a tank or like outfit, you know, some clunkers, you know, that they make kind of pound it together or put like little coverings over it to make it look like like it's uh, uh centric but it's not in this film they wanted to make sure that everything was as real as possible and so you know the actors would stay in there like all day michael pena like figured out how to drive fury better than anybody there even the even the uh the guys who drive it all the time and was able to like hit his marks and write with and be in line with the camera and whatnot and so they had him pilot it more often than not but you know, it's just, like I was saying with Immersion, it follows, you know, the group, the fish-out-of-water character with the typist, you know, he's got to figure out, you know, like how to shoot guns, how to take out Nazis, you know, like how to become like a, you know, man of war, I guess you should say. And to me, it just feels so realistic. Like it, every little mission that they do, every time they're like, you know, just talking with one another just feels like it's, so realistic to me and it reminds you like just how crazy uh it was back in world war ii and and what these what these uh servicemen went through servicemen and women went through and it's just absolutely ridiculous um and not ridiculous in terms of you know what they were fighting for but just like what they saw and what they went through and um i mean it's just it's mind-blowing and in this movie, even more so than Saving Private Ryan, I, I believe that this is just so much more immersive. And the stories the, that are told here, um, apparently from these old um, veterans' books, they're just, like, so much more eye-opening than, you know, reading out of a history book. And, uh, you know, 
um, the acting's great, the cinematography's great, the editing's great, the music's great. Um, you know, I I think that you know I gave the movie a five out of five. Oh, oh, going real quick, going back to Daredevil, I didn't give a rating for it. I'd say I'd give Daredevil a, a solid four out of five. So you know, going back to that real quick, but in Fury, um, the thing about it is it's not just about like the blood and the guts and the action. You know, they bring in you know religion and the camaraderie between everybody. Um, you know, it has hope and despair. And one of my favorite sequences is you know they they go into they roll into a town with the tank, and they take out. Uh, uh, this isn't really that spoilery. It's just it's just kind of like one little small sequence, but. They roll into town, they take over a town, and, um, you know, all the troops and whatnot are kind of, you know, going around trying to, you know, unwind, and Brad Pitt finds, uh, you know, something happening up in one of the windows and runs up there, and you don't really know much about uh, Brad Pitt's character, and um, they, uh, they find that there's two women up there, and they try to, like, have a civilized, like, dinner, and Brad Pitt has some eggs that he has them cook, and you know, and, uh, you know, they, they sing songs and play music and whatnot. And then his, you know, his crew members come up there and, you know, say why they ask why they weren't invited. And, you know, they're really, uh, derogatory, you know, towards the women and they, you know, all Brad Pitt really wanted to do is just have like a, that moment, all, all it states in the entire film is really just how it could be like how aside from the war, this is what it should be about. It should just be about, you know, spending time with one another and not fighting and, you know, and that, that it's possible, you know. And that was, like, still one of my favorite sequences. And, you know, of course, like, the there's a there's a battle sequence that happens after that. Um, and it really reminds me of the, the old um, uh, film Cross of Iron. It just toward like the last like 40 minutes of the of that film you know it's just nothing but action i mean it's just straight bombings and and uh mines tanks and gunfire and you know they mix in stock footage with real footage and seemingly have an endless supply of explosions and this movie's really no different you know they they i mean it just seems like I'd have to go back and look at the runtime, but it just seems like the last 40 minutes straight is nothing but action. And it's some of the, like, the greatest action, like, the most visceral action that I can remember. You know, kind of similar to, like, something like in um, uh, Mad Max, the, this last George Miller, the remake. It just, uh, it has such a, a sense of, you know, offering something new, something creative. And, you know, just, com just I mean... It's so immersive, like I was saying earlier. But you know, just the sense of real realism, and there really isn't any like you know crazy dull moments or anything like that. So you know, it's just it's just a concentrated small plot. Uh, you know, just about a tank commander and its crew that you know go through Nazi Germany towards the end of the war and you know fight certain fights and and uh, you know I don't want to spoil the end or anything, but. You know, it's it's just fantastic. I definitely recommend it. I definitely give it a five out of five. And you know, I I went and added it this time. I, 
you know, this I think this is like my third time, and I finally went and added it to my top 100 films of all time. It's just that good. It's just something that right after you watch it, I mean, for me at least, you just want to put it in. That was like the last time, and that was exactly like it was this time. You just want to watch it over. And, you know, hopefully in the future they have a UMD release, because UHD release, because I'd love to see this in, you know, a higher resolution. So um, that goes, that's it for the reviews. Um, let's move along to a news section. Um, really, there's only one thing, I guess, to talk about uh, today that's interesting at all. But they, uh, Warner Brothers has come out and said that they're going to, I don't, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but they've come out and said that they're going to halt all the production or kind of skim the fat on their on their uh, in-house films. So I know last year they kind of, you know, they didn't do too well with uh, In the Heart of the Sea and uh, was it Pan, I believe. They just, it, it, those movies just didn't do well at the box office, you know. They spent, you know, a lot of money on them and they just did not do well. And, you know, after seeing, like, how ridiculously good Batman did, even though it was completely panned by critics and people alone, and there were several drop-offs, it just did so well that they're completely refocusing their business model, and they're going to go after um, just, according to this report, but they're going to go, they're going to be going after just films, like, such as, um, like, Nolan's movies and Todd Phillips' movies, you know the the big hitters, of course, um, but they're but they're going to focus more on the Lego movies, the DC movies, and like the Harry Potter spinoffs. So like anything that has a name. So it's just this news, I guess, is kind of saddening, just because we're really going moving forward. Just seeing what people want to watch, we're going we're we're just gonna we're only gonna be able to see like these new interesting stories from indie from you know indie filmmakers i mean anything that has a name will come out you know and will be backed you know by the big leagues and the big companies like you know warner brothers and but and disney but they seem to be completely completely focusing more on these movies because you know they whether (laughs) their thinking is whether or not it's a good movie people will go see it just based off the name and even the from the trailers of Superman, everyone was saying it didn't look that fan, that great. And then you know when people watching it, you know, it was a lot of people saying it was a travesty. And you know, I'm one of them. I thought it was pretty pretty bad. But look at the money it made. So they are definitely going to be focusing on these movies that have a name moving forward. And like I said, you know, for, as far as big budget movies go that are trying to take a chance, you know, like they were doing with Pan or like they were trying to do with In the Heart of the Sea, seems like they're they're just going to refocus all of their efforts and just put it into these these big budget named films. And, you know, to me, it seems like, just like, I mean, for instance, to, to, to have kind of analogy, kind of like the uh, Guitar Hero games, you know, those were the biggest, highest, priced and most sought after video games you know what nine ten years ago and they just flooded the market with music games and peripherals and whatnot and people spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on these on these games 
and you know to where it's just it just completely flooded the market and the whole entire thing just collapsed now i don't think it'll ever collapse as far as like movies go because everyone will go see spider-man and batman and things like that you know that'll never change marvel movies but it just seems like that's all we're going to get you know every every year you're just going to get your you know three or four superhero movies and from or maybe even more four or five superhero movies and those will be the big ticket items that's what everyone's going to go see and you know i don't know how much longer it can sustain especially since you know the big the big leagues as far as you know um superheroes goes avengers and it seems like they're throwing all their eggs into a basket with the infinity wars and that's going to have like everybody in it so of course they have like guardians and what inhumans and whatnot going on the side but you know they're going to definitely focus all their efforts on these bigger movies and you know how how is it possible that you come out with justice league and avengers and the defenders and all these movies that they're going to do with all these team-ups and go back to the individual movies like go back to just I mean, I know they're doing it with Doctor Strange and Black Panther, but those are still, I think, in service to Avengers. So to go back and just have some obscure character come out of the woodwork and have their own movie, that may be a fleeting thing, unless, you know, that's what people want to see. Um, you know, they're still working off these really big uh, characters, you know, especially for, like, the Avengers with, with Ant-Man and um, Black Panther and... Doctor Strange, you know, these are still huge characters in the universe. So, and, you know, they're never going to run out of people to do. But when does it come to a point where, you know, it's so bad that, you know, there are, people are going to, you know, rethink, you know, what they're going to see, you know, if they're going to go see another one. And I just don't see that happening just because there's going to be so many more options. It's not going to be just Iron Man that comes out that year. You're going to have you're going to have Wonder Woman, Doctor Strange, Black Panther. You're going to have like five or six choices per year. And for me, just thinking about the last couple of years, there are some really, really good ones. Uh, in my opinion, Avengers 2 and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man were all pretty good. And then you have like Batman versus Superman. You have Captain America Winter Soldier. You know, these movies that are just, you know, just kind of mediocre. And I'm wondering when, you know, they're going to turn to spending even less money on these movies, kind of like in, uh, uh, Ghost Rider and Punisher, and thinking that they're going to get a huge, uh, you know, increase in sales and you know it just flop like they actually finally have a flop and you know i know it, it hasn't happened um but i think some some people are going to be pretty skeptical about wonder woman i think that's the dc's next film that's coming out i believe a lot of people are going to be skeptical going into that especially since this last movie did so poorly and this wonder woman i believe is going to have to be really good in, in and just let I me mean, just look what happened with Suicide Squad. You know, they were saying after the the hit critically that Batman took, they're going in doing reshoots to make it more superhero friendly, quote unquote, whatever that means. So there's definitely a change 
um, brewing here as far as superhero movies go. And I'm not quite sure why the studios have to listen to, you know, the fans so much that they actually go in and make these changes because the fans are going to go see it no matter what. You know, it's just like, a, you know, it's just like a fight that's set up between, you know, people that you either enjoy watching fight or the people you don't like watching fight. No matter what they say, you're going to tune in to watch. I mean, you, you have to watch it. No matter if you don't like them or you do like them or you're indifferent, it's a big thing. Everybody's watching it. You're going to have to watch it or at least somehow consume the media around it. So the Avengers, these big superhero movies are going to warrant that. It's just how long can they keep this thing afloat? And all signs lead to that it's going to last a very long time just because these movies are the biggest money makers, you know, we've seen in like the past 10 years. I mean, these movies are breaking all the records. And some of these smaller movies, like, you know, are like smaller budgeted movies are, I guess, somewhat getting recognition. But it just seems like if you're not into like the quote-unquote Oscar race or you don't put out a movie that everyone's talking about or, you know, has to do with like the, you know, the the hardcore film people who watch everything that are boost, boistering these things up, you're just going to get the people to just go see the superhero stuff and that's it. You know, whether they like it or not, they're going to go see it. And I don't know if that's always a good thing. And it's just weird to me that they listen, like I was saying earlier, they listen to the fans so much and just one or two comments just seem to spiral out of control and they'll just, well, like, well, I don't understand what could be different about Suicide Squad that they would need to go in and do reshoots and do new action sequences. Um, it tells me that they weren't confident in it in the first place. Now, screen screenwriting revisions is a lot more troublesome than actually going back and doing action sequences, I should say, so I don't think it's that going to be that big of a deal. Um, but coming from Ayer and coming from, you know, Fury, like I was talking about earlier, he's, he knows how to put a good story together. He knows how to have these characters interact with each other. And I can actually see this being very, very similar to Fury in a way. So, well, not to the fact that they're going to kill any characters off. Maybe some of the ones you... <laughs> they may, may Maybe some of them you haven't heard too much of, but I mean, definitely not Joker or Harley or or Deadshot or Croc, any of those guys. They're not going to, you know, because they want them in more movies. But we shall see how that one does. That's going to be a really good litmus test, that and Wonder Woman. So um, I know that was a long spiel on that. So we'll just go ahead and move on. And let's talk. Uh, we have Hardcore Henry coming out this week. So I figured we'd just do a quick rundown of, like, the Hardcore Henry pre-watch picks for this week. So if you're going to see Hardcore Henry, I was just trying to think of you know, some movies that, you know, are kind of in the same vein that might, you know, get you pumped up for, for, um, for this weekend. And, you know, definitely, you know, obviously, you know, a movie that everyone's seen or has at least heard of is definitely Kill Bill. So that one would definitely give you, from what I, from what I see, see in the, in the trailers and what I see from people writing online, you know, you have, the over the uh, over the top action sequences, yeah, the creative sequences and a lot of blood and guts. So, and Kill Bill has that in spades. So that would be one. Um, number two would be the Killer with John 
uh, uh, Chayan Fat, and uh, he's a he's like a, a hitman, and uh, he loves going into this bar. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Just it, it you know, back in the day when you know, um, like I guess all those big Hong Kong you know movies were coming out, um, especially like on DVD and whatnot. You know, this is just one of them I that was released that I got. Um, that, you know, because I loved, like, Hard Boiled. I loved Chai and Fat's movies. So, you know, and it, this one came out on DVD. And, you know, it was kind of before you could really, you know, download movies or anything. So, I mean, it was impossible to get anywhere. Um, you know, and importing it, you know, would have probably would have had a region problem. And, you know, there weren't any region-free DVD players, you know, back then. And if there were, they were super expensive. So, um, you know, I just remember getting the movie... And, you know, just loving it. I just thought it was so awesome. And even today, I just, I still think it has fantastic action and heartfelt moments. And, but yeah, he, he Giant Fett's a mercenary. He uh, has some thugs that are after him in this uh, club he goes into because he likes to uh, listen to uh, uh, this woman sing at a, at a jazz club. And he tries to uh, protect her. And um, one of the mercenaries that's after him fires a gun and, and she becomes blind. And so he just tries to become like her best friend and kind of her overseer. And so throughout the rest of the film, it's just everyone trying to kill him, you know. And then you have, you know, is you know is he going to tell her that he's the one who got who who pretty much made her blind? And he, you know, he has kind of like this uh, overseer type personality where he has to make sure that she's okay. And you know, and he just just all throughout the entire film is just fantastic. So I definitely recommend that. And then definitely the last one, uh, the third one, would be The Raid 2. Um, just absolutely. We talked about it a little bit earlier when we were talking about the Daredevil sequence. Just absolutely mind-blowing action sequences. I mean, the choreography, uh, the use of weapons, um, the sheer amount of, you know, doubles and... Um, fight sequences like i was saying it's just utterly fantastic and you know it just looks like hardcore henry tries to do something new and creative well the raid 2 is just about the most creative as far as like coming up with new sequences of fights fight scenes that i've seen in forever you know i mean it's just it's one of the best you know it may not have the best plot it's really long and drawn out but i mean you just cannot go 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 wrong with the action sequences in that movie. So those are my pre-watch picks for coming up, coming up here. Um, but yeah, so that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Um, follow me on Twitter at Lee Van Martin. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, share with your friends. Uh, you know, send it out on your social media. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Leave comments on iTunes. Um, send me messages uh, at uh, feasiblefilm at gmail.com um, or on Twitter. You can get me there. And, uh, you know, let's see, next week, I'm not sure we'll be reviewing next week, but um, I'll probably tweet it out here pretty soon, um, kind of mulling over some, some ideas. So find out here pretty soon and let you know. But until then, thanks for listening again and stay feasible. Cryo sleep.